So here we go, talking to somebody who actually knows something about the oil and gas business. So this episode, we're joined by Harold Hamm, the founder, uh, former CEO, now executive chairman of uh, Continental Oil, uh, one of the great American companies, one of the great American stories. Uh, it, it, we're going to talk about oil and gas and energy and um, and about personal story and about exporting oil. But Harold Hamm is uh, an icon, a classic example of the uh, American entrepreneurial success story and an incredibly important figure in the pantheon of people who have uh, entered into important political and policy discussions. So uh, with that, let's uh, let's talk to Harold. So let, let, let me just kick it off with, you know, an observation that's kind of fun. I'm delighted that you've written a book because now, now you're experiencing what I've experienced having written, you know, more than one book. But when you write a book, you're selling a book, not oil. You're selling ideas. And it's a very different experience. Than, than, well, yeah, I hope uh, hope we sell our book kind of bail us out. <laughs> it bailed you out. Yeah. Well, you don't make as you probably know, you don't make a lot of money writing books unless you're writing fiction. And oh, no. <laughs> but it's it's an important way to get ideas out. So I'm de- I'm delighted you did that. And it's uh it's 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 the right time to do it. There's the debates continue. You you and I uh I was just thinking the other day, um when your book came out, thinking back to when you and I first met, we were co testifying, if I remember it was before the Senate, I think it was the Senate, might have been a House hearing, uh, on an idea that you and I had independently started pushing at that time 10 years ago, that long decade ago, but maybe it was more than 10 years. I was claiming, based on the evidence of things that you were doing and companies, you know, a few companies like yours, like Bud Brigham and yourself, that that you guys uh, were implementing what you know George Mitchell had started as unlocking this massive resource of oil and gas in the shale fields of America, just brilliantly doing it with by by the overnight success of spending a decade working, and it was obvious to me that we had an idiotic law on the books banning the export of crude oil. I mean, a 40-year ban, it's like banning the export of wheat, but you could export bread. I mean, a nutty law. And everybody told me I was crazy to think that we could get rid of that law. I'm sure you were told the same thing. So here we were co-testifying that it was a crazy law, first of all, first, just on, on the face of it, and antithetical to the American uh, uh, structure and also unconstitutional, I think, frankly. So you were you were pushing the same agenda from the firsthand knowledge. And then you, of course, as you know, uh, formed the, the group that pushed hard on the lobbying side, which mattered. And it was shocking to see how successful it was. And look who signed into uh, to law the, the revocation of an idiotic ban on petroleum exports, President Obama, right? I mean. <laughs> now, I could give you a lot more history on that whole deal uh, if you have time. But uh... We got time. Tell me some of it now. Okay, well, uh, in 2012, I came up, you know, with the thought that we had to get rid of this uh, idiotic law, yep. and on on the export ban. That's 2012, and actually, uh, Financial Times was there in a, a meeting that we had with Depa in, in Washington D.C., and they wrote the first article 
uh, basically make, making a statement that that had to be repealed. And uh, and anyway, some thoughts started to go into it. I started setting the basis for how we could do it. Uh, so I got the industry talking about it. That's the first thing. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, we got DEP involved uh, totally uh, that this had to be done. Uh, and once you studied out, you know, all these refineries had retrofit those refineries, refineries uh, to handle heavy uh, Canadian crude, the bitumen. Yeah. Yep. Because they thought that's what always going to have from now on. Yeah. Completely misjudged the shale uh, revolution uh, uh, that was happening. And so, uh, anyway, we, we set up uh, a couple groups. Uh, uh, I got with Ryan Lance uh, with Conoco, and he and I set up uh, an organization that uh, that ran a part of it. Uh, Rick Bott, who was our president at the time, Continental, uh, you know, we loaned him to that group and they they did a study and whatever. I just went to work uh, on the hill to get it done. Yeah. And and anyway, they hired uh, George Baker, a fortune law firm. Right. Said it thought it was going to take three years. And I said, we don't have three years. <laughs> I've got to go to work. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I, I, I had 175 meetings in D.C. over the next uh, 15 months and finally got it uh, done in, in December uh, the 18th of 2015. Yep. And anyway, uh, it was uh, interesting times. We had a bill uh, and how to get it passed. We knew yep. it was always going to be a problem getting it passed. And so one way to get it done, and we we knew it had to be something it signed, so we put it in the omnibus bill, yep. omnibus spending bill, right? Uh, as you recall, and and anyway, but one thing Democrats love, and that's spending money. He couldn't <laughs> re- say no. <laughs> well, suppose you said you, you you did the political trade, which was at the, the wise trade, the extension of the of a, the production tax credit for wind farms was sort of a trade, right? It was, I and for me, it was ironic at the time. This is the politics, as you know. On one hand, the Dem- the Democrats. Well, there was a uh, the production tax credit was already gone, but they added two years. Exactly, they extended that. Yes, they extended so, it. For yeah, two years. Yeah, and in that bill as well. Yeah, that was there, but you know, uh, that wasn't a trade in my opinion. I knew this going to extend that thing from now on, <laughs> and I still think they will. They will. They, oh, they will. But there's an irony in this, right? The yeah. uh, the, the never go away to allow to allow uh, a business to export product that will generate tax revenues for the federal government versus to trade that for something that that costs taxpayers money, which is the production tax credit. But let me explain something to people who are listening who don't know this. Your point that you started out with, which is extraordinarily important, is that you knew because you were doing this and your colleagues. Uh, at this giant gusher of new production was beginning already and well underway and going to keep expanding. And you needed markets. I mean, people, the world needs oil, as you know, and I know. But the refineries 
like all refineries, are tuned and designed to, I'm telling you something you know, but a lot of listeners don't know this. They can't just refine any old crude that comes out of the ground. It's tuned for specific kinds of crude. And Canadian crude, you know, you know, you know I'm Canadian. I love my Canadian friends, but it's lousy crude. It's it's like tar. And yeah. you know, the bitumen, the tar, it, you have to design a refinery to handle that. Shale oil, not the to, to be simplistic, it comes out of the ground almost like diesel fuel. I mean, it's super light. Uh, it's a very, uh, it's very different. And the refineries that can handle that aren't here. And you can't get a refinery built here. Talk about something that you can't build easily. So the market is global. We exercise tremendous uh, pricing influence by doing this. And when you and you, when you were thinking of this, I remember uh, talking about this. Uh, you know the country and both of our lives and careers has been wringing its hands over you know energy dependence or depending on imports and so we've been talking about independence for a long time and i started framing it in a testimony that i gave back i wait i forget 15 years ago so this is a bad argument first you don't want to be independent we don't want to be independent we want to trade trade's important but when you're trading you want to be the dominant player and i didn't mean that in the pugilistic sense in any negotiation, you don't want to enter the negotiation on a weak footing. You want to be the position of dominance. So I kept pushing this idea that, gee, if we could export this stuff, things that you guys produce, we can move from dependence, not to independence, which is not useful, but to dominance. We can become a major player on the world's energy stage, on the most important energy commodity, along with natural gas, as you know. And But wow, uh, first I have to... Say the obvious. I told you the time. I'll say it again. It's not to, to uh, you know, butter you up. You 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 were you were pivotal in this. It made it. It's a, a, a probably the single most important economic pivot in uh, the last twenty years for the United States. It's of profound importance, and uh, and it's benefiting us today, uh, to to this day, as you as you, as you well know. Um, so on that matter, let me. Given the, the headwinds, I mean, the oil still has to leave, right? We have to get it out. It's got to go out by ports and ships. Uh, how are you feeling about the progress? I think Corpus Christi is the epicenter of the potential for more, more crude, you know, especially the big carriers. How are, you, how are you seeing that going in terms of getting the permits and the construction? I mean, it's not your business doing that, but you depend on the pipes and the ports to get the stuff out. Where, where's, your, where's your sense that we're expanding that at a pace that's appropriate to, to, to serve world markets. Well, none of these uh, permits uh, come at a speed that's appropriate. Uh, they're all delayed. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like HOU, uh, just like Enterprise's uh, 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 permit there uh, in Houston for spot. Uh, you know, I talked to my friend Jim Teague about that and uh, you know that that's been pending. Should should be approved. Should have been approved last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, still not approved. Uh, you know, and, and you know that's that's uh, very necessary. And so it's a uh, none, none none of them come through quick enough. Uh, you know, it's like uh, the LNG permits. Uh, some of them took sixteen years. Yeah, it's crazy. Is that I, is that well, very quick? Well, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it still takes a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's hard to keep money together for that long to be committed on a project. Uh, so permits, uh, I can't say enough about 
uh, proving them readily and, and getting it on. It just holds back everything. So, well, sure. Yeah, it, it's totally necessary. But what, what it did know was that it was necessary to have them, uh, that a Gulf Coast market uh, was so important. Rent market was going down. Yep. The volume was going down. We can yep. tie to that, which we have now. Yep. Uh, with what we call initially AGS uh, and, and now HOU, uh, which is, is the oil that is delivered to the uh, Houston uh, Gulf Coast market. Yep. Uh, and, you know, it's got volume. It's growing volume. Uh, you know, it's a supreme market to uh, uh, CME, WTI. It's a dollar and 25 cents a barrel. Yep. Superior. Last time I checked. Uh, so it's a uh, it's, it's coming on. Uh, knew the infrastructure was there. The pipes were there. Refineries there. We've seen the migration to the Gulf Coast. But so you, you, it's very do you important. see if you want on the, on a, a limb and you see a point in the near future because this is clearly what happens is you you can one can increase production faster than the offtake. We, more faster you can get the get it to the coast and get it off the coast the world markets and as you know world oil demand is now back to uh, pre-lockdown levels uh china's consumed imported more oil than any time in our history uh as of the first half of this year so there there's a giant market but if we don't get permits done pipes built ports completed then producers can't you can't produce what you can't sell right are we are we months or years away from hitting the uh hitting a wall now with the capacity to get to get oil offshore no i think i think we're okay uh, uh so far you know there uh we have availability that's sufficient uh it can be better uh it it can be improved uh a lot of a lot of producers taking taking veins that market uh, so I think I think all that can uh, can happen. It cer- certainly needs to happen quicker, uh, <laughs> uh, much faster. <laughs> we all understand that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the elephant in the room, as as you know, and because <clears throat> you're on the, the tip of the spear, as a as a being part of the vilified oil business, right? The 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 the, um, the goal to eliminate cons- consumption of oil to ban oil burning cars, you know, uh, is all in service of the climate, quote unquote, objectives. I, I gather that you uh, were successful in getting a chance to meet with our uh, climate envoy, you know, uh, Kerry, in, in recent uh, weeks. Uh, I thought that was terrific that you reached out, by the way. It's important. We have to have, we've got to have, we can't be arguing and fighting. We can be arguing and talking. That's different, as you know. Uh, so tell me how how that went, if you can, uh, because this is this is the this is clearly the intersection between the, the issues of our time. Those who don't want more oil, trying to get rid of it, and, and markets that want it. Well, it would be one thing if you could have a conversation and they take everything seriously and seriously listen. Uh, that'd be one thing. It's not really uh, what you get. <laughs> uh, they'll sit down with you and and a jawbone with you for an hour and a half. Uh, from that, nothing comes of it. Yeah. Uh, they, they know this is not the right decision. 
uh, yet they're going to stick with it because that's where their constituents are. They yeah. think. They think that's where their base is. Uh, so it's, it's not the right thing to do, but uh, here we are, no more than, and I explain this all in my book, uh, you know, how important all this is, uh, you know, that we get it right and, 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 and get the policy right. We can't yep. just pummel a ball of uh, every administration uh, as we go forward. It's too important. Uh, national security, energy independence uh, is so important to this country and to our economy and everything we do. Uh, so anyway, it's it's necessary that to get it right. So, you know, by sitting down with you, that's one thing. Uh, you know, they listen to you if they if they do anything about it. Yeah, uh, but they they know it's not the right thing to do when they say we're going to do it with all fossil fuels. Uh, really, we just got uh, energy independent in this country, <laughs> and we know what how what how how much that meant to America yeah. and our allies and our friends. Uh, how how important that is, and then that just changed the whole system, and let's go to all electric vehicles. And those batteries that run those things, the fuel, if you will, where does <laughs> it come from? China. Exactly. They've got 85% of it. We don't have it, you know, 15% of what it takes to make those batteries. So here we go, back to total dependency again by someone that we found out recently. They don't like us. <laughs> That's if a, anybody had any doubt, yeah. they don't like us, okay? <laughs> Uh, no, they, I think the uh, you and I both have had the same experience traveling uh, and we meet the people of a country, whether they're Russian people or the Chinese people, great people. Always. It's the governments that matter. And they don't. They, uh, yeah, we've been, it's been pretty clear. Uh, they don't like well, us. They're you know. communist. Okay. Well, of course. <laughs> and we're we're the polar opposite. But, you know, the, the dependence argument is interesting because, again, and I think this is where there's some fracturing in the anti-oil movement, because it's an anti-oil movement. The fracturing that's happening uh, politically in Europe, I mean, what is you well know what's happened with the uh, Europe's uh, attempt to get off of Russian gas and oil is it's simply realigned markets. They are taking more of our oil and gas, and their Russian oil and gas is going to Asia, you know, Pakistan, India, and, so, you know, and uh, China, especially China. But that couldn't have happened. I mean, Europe would have had no options, none, if it weren't for the fact of what you achieved and others in, in the American oil and gas business to both produce it and export it. So we realign global markets, which has costs and you know complications, but Europe would have been sucking wind. It would have, t it would have been pushed into economic collapse because they would have had nowhere else to go, it, but for the fact that we were producers. And I think they've this is not me saying it on a first-hand basis, but if you look at what they're doing and saying, you saw when Germany built something that no one ever thought they would build. In, in eight months, they built a new LNG terminal from announcement to, to commissioning. You know, it was a, a, a feat of incredible engineering. So instead of waiting 16 years to get a permit, eight months, they built a $3 billion LNG import terminal to get essentially American fracked gas, to use that ridiculous invective phrase now that you've gone from, I liked what you said in one of the, your discussions, you began your life as an oil driller, right? And now you're an oil fracker because we've we've uh, attached this 
short form to hydraulic fracturing after you drill a horizontal well. But most of what you spend your time doing is drilling. That's what most of the effort is, is drilling. Yeah. Well, I think uh, to get the whole, uh, uh, you know, terminology uh, correct, you need to read my book. <laughs> uh, and because, you know, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you, somebody called me a mother fracker. That, that's fighting words. And, uh, you know, you, you get good old fashioned kicking. Well, you could you could you could sort of take that as a backhanded compliment. You're the mo- you're the mother of invention there, right? Of the whole the whole geo revolution. Yeah, <laughs> get to, yet you're going to get an old fashioned. Okay, <laughs> you got an old fashioned whooping for that one. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, I I put in my book that uh, you know we've had a lot of disparagers on purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> Russia was one of those. Mm-hmm. Early yes. on, they saw what we were doing. Uh, here with, uh, you know, they never dreamed we could get what we have gotten uh, with the uh, horizontal drilling from natural gas and oil right. and what it, what it meant to uh, open up the shales, source beds themselves uh, to production. And so they spent $500 million over here on propaganda blitz, uh, creating all these things that... Uh, that made those terms stand out. Uh, they they put that term on. They put the F word out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah, we were drillers. We're drillers. Uh, 90% of what you're doing is drilling wells. Uh, you know, fracture stimulation, that's been around 75 years. Earl yep. P. Halliburton right here in Oklahoma in yep. 1947 did <laughs> the first uh, stimulation work. Right. Okay. That wasn't created yesterday. Uh, what George Mitchell did with, uh, you know, proving that you could get uh, uh, natural gas out of shale. A lot of us in the field knew that forever. Anybody ever perforate a shaley zone, you're going to get some shale gas. Okay. So uh, that's one thing. Really what opened it all up. And even with Mitchell, when Devin bought uh, Mitchell's company mm-hmm. and, and applied horizontal drilling, Boom! Uh, you know that opened up the Barnett. Yep. Uh, so that 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 was the key to it. So I say in my book two things: one, you're either not knowledgeable when you use that term of what we do. Yep. You're ignorant. You're ignorant. You don't know. Uh, somebody needs to tell you if you use that term. Or two, uh, the, the other side of of, of that is. Is that you're trying to disparage? Yeah, trying to put us down. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Which which is it? Well, <laughs> you know, in in in, uh, in the the battle for ideas. This is why books matter. Words matter. Words do matter. Which is why, you know, I've sort of take offense at uh, an inverse word, a uh, solar farm. It's no, we're paving the countryside with silicon and aluminum panels, covering up and destroying ecosystems. It's not a farm. So, but it, a farm is a nice word. It sounds sounds benign, and it's as you know, it's an industrial facility of enormous scale and disturbs and damages uh, orders of magnitude more land than delivering the same energy by drilling a well to a keyhole in the ground and stimulating the rock to emit uh, gas and oil. So I, I completely with you on this. It's a, and, and, you know, you mentioned something that's important here, and it sounds like one is a, a conspiracy theorist, but as you all know, the House Committee 
that uh, the Democrat, when the Democrats controlled the House committee, that looked into, quote, Russia collusion from the last election, as part of their research, they issued a report on Russian propaganda in general. And one of the fascinating uh, pieces of work that came out of that was the magnitude of their effort, uh, disinformation effort, and creating bots and uh, propaganda around energy, not around you know, Trump versus Clinton, but around energy issue itself. Uh, to your point, hundreds of millions spent, great effort spent to you know to stir people up, get them excited, get them worried. And you'd have to ask yourself, well, why, why were they doing that? Well, because I think is you know you you and I both know Dan Jurgen. When Dan Jurgen uh, interviewed Putin years ago at the dawn of the uh, the shale revolution, I remember you probably remember the seeing it. He asked Putin, and the translator translated the question about where Dan was asking what he thought about the shale revolution. And he got visibly animated, angry, and hostile. I mean, it really got very, very angry. Because, again, you know, Europe's ability to resist the predations of Russia, uh, finally, after this, you know, this crazy invasion, was entirely the consequence of the export of shale oil and gas. But for that, uh, it would have been a very, very different outcome. As horrible as the outcome is now, it would have been much much different, much worse. But let me, let me ask you a technical question, if I might. Uh, Not a political uh, one. You, let, me, let me pick up for just a minute. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. And that was a wonderful document that was put out by the House. Yeah. Uh, after that investigation, you know, we, we weren't very well prepared to offset that. We <laughs> knew that he considered it a threat uh, to what, what they had, you yeah. know, the... Uh, tremendous amount of reserves of natural gas in Russia. And so they were out to do something about that. Yep. And so they funneled that money in, uh, you know, through the Cayman Islands and other places yep. uh, to the U.S. discreetly here and hired people locally to put on documentaries. Everybody remembers Gasland and yep. all those things that they conjured up. Uh, to discredit us, uh, yes. and, and we weren't well prepared to do anything about it. This book sets us straight, and uh, you know uh, that that's another reason to read it. Uh, you know to, to set the record straight once that, and for all. That's a that's a to your point, Harold. This is a really important piece of history, not because it's history and very recent history. It's because to believe that they're not continuing in that campaign to this day would be profoundly naive. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to know that the, the Russia and Putin uh, consider America's capacities to produce oil and gas an existential threat to them. I mean, it's the, it's the only product that they have to sell of significance. I and mean, we're, we're a big producer, but as a share of our economy, you of course know this, oil and gas, they're important, but let's just say roughly 10 percentage points of the total economy, an economy our size, that's huge. But for Russia, it's two-thirds of their whole economy. If They, they are toast if they can't exercise power there. I, I mean, you would hope, we would hope, and maybe your book will help on this, is uh, some serious investigative journalists, and a few of them still exist, they're still out there, there's a few, should dig into this, follow up on the House Committee report, see where things are today, revisit what they discovered. Are they still doing that? Who are they doing it with? Where's the money flowing? You know, the old adage, follow the money. Because these, these hundred billion and multi-billion dollar campaigns to discredit the nature and the importance of the American oil industry is a campaign. It's not a conspiracy theory to think that I would add Iran, 
you know, it's inconceivable that the Iranians are not participating in this as well, because again, they have nothing else to sell the world uh, other than oil and gas. That's all they got. No one buys Iranian airplanes or Iranian computers <laughs> or Iranian Givenchy. <laughs> yeah. But let me ask you a, a technical question, Harold. So you've been reading, uh, doubtless, uh, some people claiming that we are, again, we've got peak oil coming back. So this peak oil demand, which you and I probably agree, silly. The world just is, is underserved by cars and airplanes. So oil demand is just going to keep going. Different question is not, is we're back to Hubbard's peak and peak oil supply. And, you know, when that that theory was peddled back in the early 2000s, you know, and, and I wrote my book, The Bottom as Well, then with my, my old friend, Peter Huber. We were outliers like you saying, no, it ain't happening. There's not, it's not, we, there's other ways to use technology and engineering to unlock oil. So now here we are again, some very serious people who are very smart. I mean, let's just stipulate are pointing to, you know, that the curve rolling off is, you know, you know, the, all the data saying, okay, the shell was great. The stimulation worked. Uh, we've got all sweet spots. We're done. It's now peaking and declining. Uh, get used to it. Okay. I have an opinion on that, but I'm much more interested in your opinion on the, uh, the current theory of that we're, we're peaking production of American shale. I don't talking about the next quarter. I mean, the next decade. Well, this, this, my view and, uh, you know, uh, we're out here finding oil and gas and development uh, continuously with Continental. And so as a geologist, I can tell you that I believe uh, I mentioned gas is pretty ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, yeah. it's forming right. today. Uh, so a whole lot of it. When I talk about a hundred year supply of natural gas, I believe that. Uh, with what we're doing with oil, uh, yeah, you it's not all 100 million barrels a day, 102 million uh, barrels a day. Uh, demand going up still yet. Everybody thought it peaked in COVID 2020. It didn't peak. Right. Uh, right. You know, it, it wasn't going away like everybody thought. Uh, so that demand's still there. It's a, it's a, a the best product. Uh, you know, we use it everywhere in everything we do. Uh, so. Yeah, when people, a uh, lot of people that don't know, that don't, don't have the experience that I do, they think, well, gosh, we're going to drill up the best places and it's all going to be gone. No, we keep getting better at what we do, getting more out of the ground. Yeah. We haven't even begun, uh, you know, in, in a lot of these fields, the secondary uh, repressurization, the tertiary, the third right. there around. Yeah. repressurization. So really what we're getting out is a small portion of what we will and can can and will get out in the future. So uh, really, really smart people, Vicki Holub and others with what they're doing with uh, carbon capture and underground sequestration and a lot of these reservoirs. Exxon didn't buy Denbury just for the heck of it. <laughs> uh, they, they see uh, all these things as yeah. well. Yeah. So th that's that's a whole different field, uh, you know, secondary, tertiary, yep. and what's coming down the road. But you know, from an explorationist, I can tell you that you know that you run out of oil to make the next find. <laughs> that's okay? right. That's right. I think there's a lot more finds out there, a lot more that we know of, yeah. and a lot more things that we're involved in. 
a lot of these uh, very large uh, producing areas, Powder River Basin is one of those. Yeah, it's kind of Wyoming. It's in, yeah, and kind of in its infancy. Yeah, uh, today uh, yeah. I remember when the Bakken used to look like that. Yeah, and uh, what it took to get it to where it's at today. Uh, so that, that's just one example. There's a lot more examples of that. And so most people don't have the technical uh, ability and capability to know those things. But from those of us that do, we're going to be decade after decade, uh, you know, around. Are we going to continue to grow forever? Well, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> forever is a long time. <laughs> that's that's correct. But well, we're you, going to be on oil and gas a very long time. You know, you're you know you you uh, uh, for me confirm my bias not as a oil man, but I you know as you know I come at this from a, I'll call it a simplistic perspective. Having been trained as a physicist, you sort of look at fundamentals. You talk to people who are knowledgeable like you and smart. And this is where I when I got involved early on, uh, late in my career in the oil business. I looked to people like you and listened to what you have to say. Then I go talk to other people who are, you know, in the in the business, and you you discovered the two things. One is the underlying geology question: Does the oil exist? Right. Well, the answer is yeah. A lot of it exists, um, and you have to go look for it and prove it out. But there's two levels, as you know. It's the knowing it exists, but finding it specifically in areas where you can get to it and afford it. But the other one, the other key one. And it's an under, underestimated and poorly understood feature of what you, you've done and what your colleagues do. It's just true in every industry, but especially true in oil and gas business, is the incremental ability to keep getting better at a technology or technique is sort of the essence of what we've done in civilization, what we're really humans are really good at. And it requires expertise. And you have to talk to the experts about it and, and ask. And, and I have, have yet to find a... a a domain where the underlying, whatever the resource is, whether it's food or fuel, where the underlying resource is large, where you can't keep applying innovation and getting more, right? And so essentially the peak oil people are effectively saying peak innovation, peak imagination, that we we can no longer imagine and innovate anymore, which is, I mean, if, if there's living evidence of that in your, your career, if I map the quantity of oil that the world was producing out of the, in any you know, we're not we're now up, you know, 10x globally over what the world could have done. And we're not even close to exhausting the underlying resource base, continental United States. But let me ask you an offshore question. You're not you don't do offshore uh in, in continental, at least to my knowledge. <laughs> Maybe you never will. Uh, well, we have, we haven't in a long time. So yeah. anyway. oh, well, when when was the last time you guys did an offshore or was it uh, Gulf of Mexico? Yeah, we were uh uh, partner with Challenger uh, oh, in, the, okay. in the Gulf Coast, and uh, I did did well. Uh, in a lot of nice place, and uh, but was a non-operator there, and uh, usually had good operators uh, uh, that was out there, like Joe Foster when he was <laughs> at, at Newfield and back in the day, and and others that uh, you know we did well, uh, but. You know, our, our primary deal was uh, oil, uh, yep. and so oil was uh, the Rockies, yep. uh, it's Permian, yep. it's Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, we pursued that and became the largest producer of oil and gas in uh, uh, Montana, North Dakota, 
Oklahoma. Uh, yep. Texas, we got a little ways to go. <laughs> you got time to catch up. It's, you got you got, a, you got a second career coming up here. Oh, you could you could. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You got. You know, there's a lot of room in Texas. Yeah, it's a big state. Last I checked, and it's not far from Oklahoma. So you, you yeah, we call it Baja, Oklahoma. <laughs> I'll pass that on to my Texas friends. <laughs> well, we got a lot of Texas friends too. <laughs> I know that's good. Well, you know, this is uh, uh, it's, it's just good to see you, and I, I want to make sure what I'll, I'll do in our and uh, our podcast and what I write about is uh, promote your book. You know, for those who and they'll see it in the in the uh, the links to it in the uh, in the promotion of the podcast for the for Game Changer, and I and I was serious when I started out by pointing out that I mean you spent your career as a producer of product that's incredibly important to the world. And, uh, and I know I was sort of busting your chops when you announced you were going to retire from the CEO position. Uh, but I'm delighted that you're, you're uh, entering into the domain of uh, more, more time spent in pushing ideas uh, in this debate, because it's every bit as important now, as you know, and maybe I would think in some respects more important than when you, Sort of stepped out of the uh, into the public limelight by arguing for something like exporting. I think now what we have to argue for is not exporting oil. That's with a good with luck we won't ban that again. Is a return to a rational uh, approach to energy policy. I mean, I suspect I don't know this for a fact, but you know, in our conversations, you're like me. I think solar panels are fine, used properly. Windmills, electric cars are kind of cool. This is very different, though, than mandating what markets can use uh, and trying to abandon the single most important uh, form of fuel to civilization. Oil and gas have reanimated the entire 20th and early 21st century. These arguments are incredibly important. You know, you and I both know oil will get produced, whether we produce it or not in America, uh, because the world needs it. The existential threat is to a, a viable domestic industry that a government could actually destroy an incredibly important industry. So I think these are really important battles. I'm glad you're engaging it again. Uh, your personal story is a testament, but your ideas are important now. now. You got you to stay on the road for a long time. Books have long tails. You're going to be on the road a year to two years <laughs> in this book, Harold. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, uh, as you just said earlier, uh, you know, words are important. Uh, the connotation of those words are very important. Uh, and, you know, the industry has been disparaged, a lot of lies out there about us. And, uh, you know, setting that narrative straight is important. And, uh, you know, I think this book go a long way to do that. And I think it's important to do it. So, yeah, I've got uh, our, our company. I stay involved with our company and have a lot of fun with it. But I've got great leadership here at Continental. We're doing wonderful things and the company's growing and, and doing well. I love being private. I did complain when you took it private. I, I did because I now I can't own a piece of it. I mean, I had I had in full disclosure continental stock. I I believed you, I believed your story, bought your stock years ago. And uh damn, you know, you bought it back from me. I can't even own a piece of continental. Well, you made a fortune, Mark. I mean, you know, <laughs> I wish percent there was <laughs> Well, you know, a thousand percent of a dollar is not quite the same as a thousand percent of a few million, but that's <laughs> much detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's good to be with you today. Uh, appreciate all that you do. Well, thank for you. Our industry as well. 
It looked like you're very comfortable up there in Maine. So. <laughs> you ought to be I'm down not... here where it's uh, 104. <laughs> well, I'll be I'll, I'll be in your backyard in a couple of weeks, as you know, uh, joining joining a, a meeting of the Oklahoma Oil and Gas Association. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I'll be in your backyard, enjoy the the comfortable temperatures uh, <laughs> of the uh, great state of Oklahoma. There you go. We'll probably cool off, but then <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, yeah. thanks again, Harold, for. Uh, for joining and uh, I wish you the best of luck with the book and I'm dead serious. I hope you keep uh, on, on the road uh, promoting and pushing ideas, getting people to read, not just your personal history, which is a Testament, a classic American story, which is a wonderful thing. It's why I emigrated to this country from Canada. You know, you, you epitomize the uh, great American story. People can, you know, go from what is you all know are are humble backgrounds to a great success, but it's not just about a personal success. It's you've had an impact on uh, a lot of lives, uh, made people uh, wealthy. You've created jobs for people and helped the country. So thank you for that. Uh, Good luck with the book. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Good to be with you, Doug. So with that, uh, again, thanks to Harold for joining us. Uh, He's, uh, as as I hope you agree with me, an interesting, fascinating and important uh, part of the American landscape. Uh, and I think if you are liking these kinds of podcasts, you know what to do. <laughs> Give us a rating somewhere on one of the platforms, uh, a good rating. And uh, I will come back later with another podcast, of course, to talk about more energy issues, more technology issues. We're going to return to the subject of robots uh, and artificial intelligence, because most people don't realize the extent to which those domains intersect the oil domain, something else something we will talk about in the near future. So with that, this is Mark Mills signing off for The Last Optimist.